This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers, listeners, subscribers. The, we are going to be beginning today, Bizlat Hashem, the story of Rabbi Akiva. It's going to be probably a, a three a series, a mini series, three series uh, uh, class, hopefully. Um, amazing, fascinating life story. We're going to try to go from everything from, uh, from A to Z. There's actually a wealth of information on him in the Midrashim, in the Gemara. And in other sources as well, there, there brings a lot about his life. He is, uh, one of the reasons why this is so fascinating, one of the reasons why, first of all, we're doing it specifically now is the Omel. The Omel, we know Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students that died during this time. One of the reasons that we fought, we, we have this, uh, mourning process. We don't shave, we don't take haircuts, we don't listen to music, um, we don't get married during these, uh, these times. So it, it is, it, it pays to understand not only his students, which we don't see, don't have that much information about that whole situation, but their master, their teacher, and what a tremendous level that he was able uh, to reach. The reason why this story is so fascinating and it comes to, to interest in so many people is because that it has, uh, um, you know, generally you have somebody who, you know, who became the biggest rabbi in Israel. So how does that person become the biggest rabbi? You hear about him when he's, you know, four years old, he already learned and taught himself how to read. When he's already seven years old, he already memorized the entire Mishnah. By ten years old, he already finished the Gemara. And by 15 already, he made a Siyum Hashas and Siyum Tamud Yerushalmi, Tamud Bavli, all the Halachal, everything he's, he's done. So then you go and you're like, okay, listen, you know, uh, you're 20, 30, 40 years old already, and you'll be like, oh, how could I could ever reach a commit to someone to, that, uh, on his caliber? Rabbi Kiva was not like that. Rabbi Kiva was somebody who came in from very, very humble origins. Besides the fact that he was a convert, he comes, I'm sorry, he comes from a lineage of converts. His, his, uh, some say his father or his grandfather, um, was converted to Judaism. So, he didn't have the lineage, he didn't have like, you know, his big rabbi father helped and taught him Torah from when he was a little baby until he, you know, became what he was. He also came from a poor background. He was a shepherd. He lost the, you know, didn't have any family money. He had, not only was he a shepherd, he was a shepherd that he had to rent himself out to somebody else. He wasn't even a shepherd for his own sheep. Uh, additionally, he did not start learning Torah until the age of 40. Until the age of 40, he did not even know the alphabet. He did not know how to read. He was illiterate. He was also, besides to top it off all on that, he had a strong hatred towards rabbis. He would say about, he would say about himself, he says, if I would see a rabbi, I would like to bite him like a donkey. He wanted to bite him so hard, like, a, so they, they ask, why, why not a dog? Why specifically a donkey? Because a donkey's bite is so hard, it pulverizes the bone. So that's how much he hated rabbis. Yet, Oh, there's one more actually. He was actually a single father at the age of 40 already. And he was widowed, uh, you know, from his first, uh, possibly widowed from his first, uh, uh, marriage. Had a little child. And he comes in to, uh, to, to the scene at 40 years old, an ignorant, uh, illiterate, I should say illiterate shepherd. Not only not knowing any Torah, hating the rabbis, hating and, and, and trying to go uh, away from all that. And yet he became one of the greatest sages of all time. He the, the level that it says about him is so unbelievable. The Gemara speaks about it. The Gemara says that he is referred to, Rabbi Akiva is referred to as Rosh Lachachamim. The head of all the sages. He's considered that, and I'll tell you even more so. There was a, there's a, there's a, uh, interesting, um, I believe it's a midrash that brings it down that there was, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, asked God, why is there little, you know, the, in, in every, when you see a Sefer Torah, there's something called the crowns on the Sefer Torah, which is like little lines that go on top of the letters. So he says, you know, what, why do we need the little crowns? So Moshe, uh, so HaKadosh Baruch God told Moshe, says there's gonna be a time where there's gonna be a person by the name of Kiva ben Yosef, and he's gonna go and he's gonna be able to darshan, he's gonna be able to teach about just from those crowns. So, uh, um, so Moshe goes over to this Baruch and says, listen, if you have a guy like a Rabbi Akiva ben Yosef, why am I giving the Torah? It, that's the level, 
level that he was considered such a high caliber level um, that that you know highest of the sages quoted one of the most in the in the in the, in the Gemara in the Mishnah. So you, you see somebody who comes from nothing to so much, it really pays to learn, for, to, to, to try to understand this story. And there's so many amazing lessons that you could hear from this story, both from the woman's side and from the man's side. The woman's side on, on the sacrifices that his wife makes, and also from his side, from his uh, perseverance and his ability to discern all these little nu- nuances in the Torah, and which led him to become one of the greatest uh, people in the, in the history of the Jewish nation. So... With that introduction, let us begin. Before we begin, I want to, when we're going to go through this story, we're not going to just go through the story with a, uh, a just based on his life. I'm trying to give you a picture of the whole scenario. What was going on during the time of his, of the, you know, of the time when Rabbi Akiva was alive. Also, try to give a little bit of information of his rabbis. And, and hopefully maybe we'll see if we're able to get also on the students as well. So. The um, Rabbi Akiva lived through a very, very harsh period in Jewish history. He lived through the destruction of the Second Temple. So during the time of the destruction of the Second Temple, while there was a siege, uh, the, uh, the, there was a siege by Vespasian. He had a he siege. He was a, a general, and he put a siege around Yerushalayim. And uh, during that time, there was a big rabbi. The, the biggest rabbi in time was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai came, and he told, and he, he snuck himself out. To, to meet with uh, Vespasian, with this general, to try to, uh, you know, come to sort of some sort of uh, deal that, you know, at least save something with the Jewish nation, because it was, it was only a matter of time before he was going to take it over. So, uh, how did he get out there? He had, to, he had to sneak out of there. So, what he did was, is that he pretended to, to be dead, he pretended to die. He put himself in a coffin. They even put dead, uh, dead uh, animal carcasses in the coffin, so it actually smells of dead meat. And his two students, Rabbi Eliezer, Ben Horkinus and Rabbi Yeshua Ben Hanania, they went and they carried him out to uh, to meet Vespasian. He goes and he meets he meets Vespasian and he says, you know, hail to you the uh, Roman Emperor. So Vespasian looks left and he's like, are you are you crazy? He says, what are you saying that out loud? He says, if the Emperor hears that that's what you're calling me, he's going to kill you and he's going to kill me. He's like, I'm not the Emperor, I'm the General. And the you know Rabbi Yochanan Ben Zaka replied back to him. He says, no no no, it's only going to be a matter of time. He says, you are indeed going to be the emperor and Jerusalem will indeed fall in your hand. And while they're conversing, while they're talking, a messenger comes in rushing in from, from Rome and he says, you know, all hail, you know, Emperor Vespasian. The emperor in Rome died and now we're electing you, or the Senate went and elected you the, the Roman, uh, the Roman emperor. The, um, the, the, this, the general and now the emperor Vespasian was so impressed with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh. He says, ask me whatever you want and I'll grant it to you. And he asked for a few things. Of the few things that he asked for, one of them was to spear the, the Chachamim, the sages in Yavne. Yavne was a location where a lot of the sages went and learned Torah. And that's what he asked for. He says he got a spear for them because he realized, he says if the, if the temple's gonna fall, everything's gonna fall, the only thing that's gonna hold the Jewish nation together is the Chachamim, is the sages that are gonna be able to teach the Torah and, and continue on the, the Jewish legacy, if I may, the Jewish religion and, and actually teach it over to the children of the Jewish nation. So, he went and he got his, uh, his wishes were granted. Now, during this, during the time of the, of the, of, uh, of the siege, there was a, uh, there was three very, very wealthy people. And of these three wealthy people, one of them was, his name was, uh, Ben Kalvasavua. Kalvasavua, his name, you know, is, is, uh, literally is a very full dog. Why is it that it's considered a, why was his name like a very full dog? And the answer is because when somebody came in starving like a hungry dog, they came out so satisfied. They were so stuffed from his house that that's that he, they were they were full like satisfied as a dog. He was a big big bal tzedakah. He gave a lot of charity. 
So much so that, and he was one of the wealthiest Jews at the time, he was able to uh, support the entire Jerusalem for 21 years. On, you know, there was three very wealthy people that were able to support the entire Jerusalem for 21 years. And he was one of them that was with his storehouses and the amount of food and, and resources that he had there was enough to support um, Yerushalayim for 21 years. So during this time, the Kavas of War, during the siege of, the, of Yerushalayim, there was, there was these, these wicked people that they wanted to fight the Romans. And the Jewish sages did not want to fight the Romans. They said, listen, it's not gonna help, let's, you know, we have to surrender now. So what they told, what they decided to do was, was, uh, go and put a, uh, they burned down all the storage facilities that they had in Jerusalem. So they burned the entire place down to the ground, and the Jews then were starving to death, and many Jews died because of that. So Kaba and Kabbalah's entire, uh, his entire resources that was in Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Jerusalem was, was destroyed as well. So Ben Kabbalah went and he went to move into his country home. He had a country home near the, uh, near Tveria. I'm assuming it's near Tveria, it was near the Kinaret. So I'm assuming it's in the area of Tveria. So, he had there a very large estate, you know, uh, fields and, and uh, um, pastures and, and, and uh, sheep and, you know, a bunch of animals and uh, uh, vegetables, fruits. He had, a, you know, a, a whole uh, uh, system going on over there. So he goes over there and he moves uh, and he moves into his uh, country estate. And when he goes there, he's, he's, uh, um, he, he takes along his, his, uh, his daughter. His daughter is the only one that, uh, you know, that, that he has as family, you know, immediate family. His wife passed away not too long ago. And his, and his, uh, so it's just him and his daughter Rachel. So while he's settling in, he's now looking for somebody to supervise all his sheep, all his, you know, he has, he had a lot of, he had a lot of shepherds, he had a lot of, uh, cattle, and he needed somebody to oversee everything. He didn't have a son to do this, he didn't have a son to run over his business, so he decided he was looking to hire somebody. He got recommended a, a very, very bright person by the name of Akiva Ben Yosef. Akiva Ben Yosef was recommended by one of his neighbors, and he says, uh, you know, I heard a lot about this guy. He's a very, very bright guy. Uh, um, he knows a lot about the sheep. He knows a lot about the land. I would recommend to go and, uh, you know, see maybe he'll be a good fit for it. So fine, they set up the meeting, and they meet with, uh, with uh, Akiva meets with, with uh, Ben Kava Savua. He goes over there. And he, you know, he starts, they start talking about the sheep and he starts talking, he's starting to question him and he sees that, you know, Yaakov and Yosef is really, you know, well, well versed in the, in the, in the business. So during this meeting, there's a knock on the door and his daughter, Rachel, walks in. And she comes in and says, you know, I'm sorry to disturb you, father, but there is a visitor that you're expecting, which was by the name of Papus Ben Yehuda, is here and he's, uh, he's waiting outside. So the father, you know, the Kabbalah Savua says, listen, I, you know, I'm in the middle of a meeting now. I can't attend to him right now. Please see him to the living room. Let him, you know, uh, get himself and make himself feel at home. Give him some, some food to eat. And I'll be out with him shortly. She says, fine. She closes the door and she leaves. The, then he, you know, Ben Kabbalah goes over to, you know, Akiva and he says, you know, he says, you know, this, uh, he explains the situation. He says, you know, this, uh, this, uh, Papus is why I'm thinking of arranging a match between him and my daughter. And, you know, he's a close, uh, you know, he, he knew his father, uh, you know, Ben Kavas knew Papus' was father. And he says, you know, as long as the two, you know, them get along, I want to make a, this is going to be my shidduch. So, uh, you know, he explains the situation and, uh, they move on with the meeting. Then he goes to, Ben Kavas goes to, to Rabbi Akiva, before he was Rabbi Akiva, so it was just Akiva, and he tells him and he says, what are your wages? How much are you going to charge me? What is it going to cost me? So, Rabbi Akiva says, he says, listen, he says, pay me according to the value of my labor. Now, Ben Kavaswell really liked that. He says, you know, I like that. He says, you know what, you're hired. He says, you're hired, you know, just from, just from that. So then he goes and he says, um, what you're gonna be doing is you're gonna be in charge of all the shepherds. You're gonna be make sure that they graze in the right places, that they're not stealing from the, from, from people's grasses, and that when it's time to shear the wool, you're gonna shear it and you're gonna send it to the storage facilities, and you're gonna be charging them all that. 
Then he asked him, and he says, listen, are you familiar with the laws of shechita, the laws of slaughtering? So he says, you know, to be honest, I don't know anything about Judaism. And he says, I really don't, you know, care so much for it. I um, I just know basic history of, of Judaism. So he says, you know, it's a shame because I would have put you also in charge of the slaughterhouses as well. But he says, okay, fine, we'll start off with uh, with this. Meanwhile, the meeting ends, he hires, you know, Akiva, and now he goes to the... He goes up to, 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 to his, uh, to his, really a meal with the, his potential future son-in-law, Papus. So they go, and they go, this meal was not only him and his uh, future possible son-in-law and his daughter, it was also a few of neighbors, a few of the wealthy neighbors, they all came in, and they were talking, they were, they were, you know, discussing things that were going on in, in, you know, economics and politics and all things like that. And then obviously he came into the destruction of the temple, because that's what was the hot topic back then. So they start talking about that. So, Papus, this potential, you know, uh, son-in-law goes and he says, you know, it's, it's our fault. We're blamed to all of, for, for all our suffering. So, you know, one of the neighbors says, you know, you know, I, I agree with you. He says, God is punishing us for all our sins. So Papus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm referring to. He says, what I'm referring to is that we're, reason why we're, we're dealing with what we're dealing with is because we refuse to be like the other nations. If we would be like the, the Roman Empire, if we would be like everybody else, everybody would leave us alone. Why do they, they wouldn't care what we do. He says, because we stick out and because we do our certain, you know, things that we do that we don't follow, uh, you know, go in with the flow with everybody else. He says, that's why we get prosecuted. So, you know, they started, you know, the, that's a very harsh statement to say to religious Jews. So he says, are you trying to tell us that we should, you know, start worshipping idols like and it becomes like the Romans? So he's like, oh, no, 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 I'll never say to worship idols. You say, rather, you know, worship, you know, believe in the one God, believe the basic tenets of Judaism, but everything else, everything after that, everybody should do whatever he sees fit. He says, and then we won't be, uh, you know, prosecuted. So Achal was sitting over there, and Achal was very, very devoted to, uh, not only to Judaism, but to, to the continu- continuation of the Jewish nation. And she says, she says, I don't understand, she says, uh, you know, I'm but an uneducated girl, but if I may say something, it says, how do you expect the Jewish nation to last if they're only going to believe in one God and that's it, and the whole Torah is going to go, the, the Jewish nation is going to go as well. So... She, she says just the opposite. She says, now that we don't have the temple, and now that we're getting prosecuted, now that we have to embrace the Torah even more strongly, this is the time that we have to remain loyal to our Father in Heaven, and to, and, and B'zal Hashem, that will bring us a happier future. So, you know, Kabbalah Sabo was very, you know, was very happy with his daughter's answer. But, uh, Papus, you know, replied back, and he says, listen, says, I see you're very, you know, enthusiastic about this, but, you're living in a, in a world of illusion, in a fantasy world. So the Roman Empire is not the Babylonian Empire. There are many, you know, you know, and he starts speaking about their, their uh, philosophers, their, you know, they don't even believe in these multiple gods, and, you know, Plato, Aristotle, you have, you know, they don't believe in all this nonsense, but rather, I believe that this is what Papa says, is that we should believe in one God, and then do what we feel that is fit for us to do, and this way we'll be able to go and, um, you know, continue and, and live without being, um, without being, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, traumatized, you know, like prosecuted. So, uh, the, the meeting ended, the meal ended, and everyone went to his own way. And meanwhile, you know, Akiva, you know, was, was working and he was, everybody was extremely impressed with him. He was very quick on his hands and feet and he, he, like, he knew everything. He was very, very quick learner. And, uh, you know, the, the, he, he basically got, uh, noticed. And in a good way. And Rachel was observing him as well also. She sees that, you know, he's very smart. And one of the people during the meeting, in the meal, they were, they said, oh, I see you have a, someone new coming around. I see you hired somebody new. It's like, you know, this is uh, Akiva ben Yosef, right? And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, I just hired him, you know, to oversee all my shepherds. He says, you know, that guy is, you know, very, very bright head. He says, uh, you know, my son tried to get him to go to yeshiva for, you know, for quite some time, but he refused to go to yeshiva. He says, a guy like that in yeshiva, whew, forget about it. So Rachel was listening to all this the whole time. 
Meanwhile, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh was getting uh, sicker and sicker. He was ill, and uh, you know it was time for him to leave the world. He had his two students, uh, you know, one of his stu- of his many students, two of his students was next to him was Rabbi Elazar ben Horkness and Rabbi Shob ben Chananya, which is also going to be we'll see in the future is going to be Rabbi Akiva's teachers. And uh, they go and they see, they go to visit the rabbis. Die, they're dying rabbi Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh, and they see that the rabbi Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh is sitting there and crying. So says, dear teacher, says, why are you crying? This is what's going on. Why are you why are you in tears? So the rabbi answers back, I'm going to, you know, he says, he goes and explains to him, says, if I would go and be judged in front of a, a king of flesh and blood, then okay, I'll be able to bribe him, be able to do something about it, but I'm going to, to, to meet with the king of kings. He says, should I not be afraid? So they go, the two students go over to him and he says, teacher, please bless us. So they be, he blessed him, he says, may you always have the fear of God in the way that you fear people. So they said, you know, that, that's the blessing, he says, that's it. He says, I, you know, I advise that it will be just that. He says, you realize when someone's going doing a sin, he doesn't look to see if God is watching him. He looks to see if somebody else is watching him. Somebody's in, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's home alone in the middle of the night, and he decides he wants to go on the computer. So what does he do? He looks left, he looks right, makes sure no one's watching, and then he lets his fingers and his yetzerah go and, and uh, run wild. Uh, however, let's say there was a group of people behind him. He would never do that. So what do we see over here? The fear of people is greater than the fear of God, because God watches everything. So Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Zaka says, that you should have the fear of God as much as you fear people. And then you really be protected from sin. So meanwhile, a short while later, Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Zaka returned his soul to his maker. And this this uh, tragic news spread like wildfire to the entire Jewish nation. And everybody was affected by it, including the whole Kabbalah Savua, the whole clan, the whole family. And uh, the the Kabbalah Savua was very, very impressed with, you know, with, uh, with Akiva. Everything he did was amazing, everything was said. But one thing bothered him. Everybody was mourning for the biggest rabbi. He was indifferent. So he goes over and, uh, and he goes and he says, um, you know, why is it that, uh, you know, everyone else is mourning and you're not mourning? Like, you know, you don't feel, you know, pain and affected by the biggest rabbi in, in the world that, uh, passed away. And he says, no, to be honest, I'm indifferent. It doesn't matter to me. He says, oh, these rabbis, what do we need these rabbis for? These are the rabbis that cause the separation. Even in his, in his illiterate state, he was still, he loved the Jewish nation. He wanted the unity. So these rabbis are causing, you know, disunity. What are they doing? They don't, they don't mingle with the, with the secular. They don't go and involve themselves with the secular. You know how, how, uh, um, secular people think. They always think they're bad because they don't really know that anything else. So, he says, they're the ones who created so much conflict amongst us. So, so, um, you know, he goes on and he says, he says, oh, no, absolutely, what are you talking about? He says, just the opposite. He says, the, the rabbis are the ones that unite us. He says, the reason why, because you, you don't know, you never learned anything about it. You never learned how the rabbis actually teach the Torah. There's reasons for everything. So, um, meanwhile, Rachel was the most affected by the death of Rabbi, of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And she was, she's like, what's, what's going to be the continuation of our nation? She says, now that we lost someone so great, we have to find a replacement. We have to find somebody that will be able to replace, you know, up to a certain extent in the caliber of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And so she goes and she starts thinking of, of you know, this Akiva. So she goes over to, to Akiva and she says, you know, everybody's speaking about, you know, your, 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 your keen mind and your strong will and your ability to perceive things. She says, why don't you leave my father's herds, leave the shepherd, leave the shepherd business behind you and go to Yeshiva and become a shepherd for your people. So he says, he says, what do you mean? He says, I'm 40 years old. I don't even know how to read. He says, I can go and be able to, uh, uh, you know, go start learning now. And she says, listen, from what I hear, from what I see, your mental abilities are unsurpassed. He says, you'll be able to accomplish a lot. So she says, um, you know, he says, listen, he says, uh, what's, what's going to be my compensation for all of this? She says, what do you mean? You're going to be, you know, you're going to bring you know, eternal bliss in, you know, in, in Olam Haba. You'll have eternal reward. You'll bring great, you'll great contribution to the Jewish society, to the Jewish nation. 
So he says that's very nice and it's very, you know, beautiful to hear, but says that doesn't put bread on the table. And with that, he says, you know, not for me. Uh, you know, it's, it's really a, a shame. You know, I've met in my, you know, my lifetime many, many geniuses of people. You know, you have like some sort of people that, you know, like they're like beyond geniuses. What does the Satan do with all these, these geni- geniuses? He goes, if you ever realize, you know, there's a, he puts them in such a situation that it will never come to learn Torah. Because if they learn Torah, they'll become like crazy, crazy high. So what do you have it? There's like, I'll tell you what some of them do. I know, I know a few of them that they're so smart. But what do they do all day? They play the, I shouldn't, I, the dumbest video games. I know, I, you know, the video games, you know, that you know, like you build fields and you build, you build this and then you dig holes and then you share farms and you, like the craziest things that they do, these are the things that they enjoy playing. So Satan tries to take them out of learning to law, just the opposite thing. You know, they get involved in all these crazy stuff and they have brilliant minds. If they would put their minds into law, they would be able to get to, to, to reach such levels. So, so to the Satan, Rabbi Akiva had great potential, so he wanted to try to, as much as he can to go out and prevent him from, uh, from, from learning to and from becoming, from becoming someone great. The, um, so Rabbi Akiva, you know, meanwhile, he goes and, uh, you know, he continues his work, and while he appeared to reject everything that Allah said, it still, you know, was in his mind, sort of stu- stuck in his mind. And, you know, he started thinking about the world, about the, you know, Torah, about things like that, and, and, and you know, so it really, it, you know, it, it dug into him. So one day he's walking past by, and, and Rachel, you know, her father had a very large estate, and he had a few, you know, like, streams of water flowing into the Kinevat. If, if you've ever been into the Kinevat, it's a beautiful, you know, like, huge, you know, land of water. And so he had a bunch of beautiful streams walking over there, and, you know, beautiful gardens. And she used to walk around the garden. She didn't have a mother. She didn't really have that many friends. So she would be a lot of herself in her own thought. One day, Rabbi Kiva sees her on the ground, and he goes over to, you know, to her, and he says, you know, he says, you know, forgive me my, you know, the, the, the daughter of my master, you know, to, for bothering your, your, you know, your solitude, your moment of, of, you know, alone time. But, you know, you've, you've told me things and it's been constantly bothering me since you, since you, uh, told me. He says, I have some questions about the, the Jewish nation. He says, what you're so, you're saying is so true about, you know, the, the continuity of the Jewish nation. He says, but why does the Jewish nation, why do we suffer so much? Why do we have to go through so much suffering? So she replied back and she says, listen, the greater the person's tasks in this world, the more, uh, the, you know, the more, uh, the more issues that are involved in it. And I'll give you an example. This is not what she said, but I'll give you an example to understand this, which in his example I use pretty frequently. You have a CEO. He has more worries and more problems than somebody who is mopping the floors. Now, why? They're both working at the same company. And the answer is because you have much more responsibilities than that guy. And hence, you get paid for it more. So the Jewish nation, they have a lot of responsibility in this world. And hence, you know, there's a lot of issues that come up and we have to deal with it. And he says, you know, she explains it also as, as follows. There was, uh, there was a stream of water that was going down and, uh, you know, into, into the Kinevat. And what, during the rush, rushing stream, there was a bunch of big rocks that were, that were stationed right in front of, uh, right in front of the water. And what happens if you have a running stream and there's rocks? So the water, you know, hits the rocks, it splatters all over. And then it continues, you know, it, it basically reassembles and it continues downstream. It says the, the water is like the nation of Israel. So the rocks is like the subjugating nations, the nations that want to, uh, you know, harm us. So they go and they place rocks, they place obstacles in our, in our servants, in our, 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 our ability to observe the mitzvot and the Torah according to the, to the will of God. But what happens? So they block us and we spread out to entire, to the, the entire world. But then what? We reunite together and we continue downstream into, you know, into, into the water. She says, uh, you know, so he was, first of all, he was, Rabbi Kiva was very impressed with the way that she was able to understand these things. And he's like, this is unbelievable. He says, I see you have a lot of, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, answers to these things. So he says, you know, what does water have to do with the, you know, Torah? And what, do, you know, and she actually quoted him a pasuk from Yov. 
You know, Avanim Sachku Mayim, the, the water rubs out the, the rocks. He says even furthermore, he says when you have, if you look at the rocks, what happens to the rocks? If you have constant water flowing onto the rocks, it, it starts eroding the rock or it smooths it out. It actually, it actually could break through the, um, the, the power of the rocks, which we'll soon see a very, the, the, of the most famous stories of Rabbi Akiva. So he started asking her a bunch of other questions. So he says, listen, how could, you know, start asking the most famous question about free will. How can you have free will if God knows what's going to happen in the future and God knows what I'm going to do? So how could I be, have free will? And then hence, how could I be punished for things that I do? She goes over to him and says, listen, you're asking me all these questions. I'm, you know, I'm an educated girl. Says, you know, I don't learn Torah. Says, go to Yeshiva, learn Torah, and you'll get all the answers. He says, are there really answers for all these questions? I says, absolutely, you go to Torah. So he go, he kept on asking her questions over here. Some of them she answered and says, uh, you know, why is it that we have so many troubles in our time? You live in, in a time of tremendous trouble. So, to the Jewish nation. So she goes and she starts explaining to him, she says, listen, says the, the Jewish nation, the, you know, when they were in, uh, born into slavery, the, uh, in, in, in Mitzrayim, they had a very, very hard time. Says, well, what's going on with us? Why do we have to go through such hard times? Little did they know that their children is going to be the people that are going to get the Torah. Says that, and she goes and she says, the uh, Rachel goes to Rabbi Akiva and she says, you know what was able to go and hold the Jewish nation together? It was in the merit of the woman. When the men gave up, the women, excuse me, were continuing and they were giving the faith to, for the men to, to continue their, their work. And when the men didn't want to have any children, the women were able to reboost their munah, reboost their faith and be able to continue. And because of the woman, that's why we were able to survive. So Rabbi Akiva is sitting there and looking and she's sighing. He's like, oh, says, if only I'll be able to find a wife, a wife like that, like someone like you, then I will need to, you know, and happily dedicate my life to the learning of Torah. And he was just, you know, saying it as a, as a, you know, a, 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 you know, just as a passing statement. And she replied back to him, which was he didn't expect. He says, if I knew that one day you would become a great teacher of Torah, of the Jewish nation, I would not uh, turn you down. So he was like, I was like, well, so he says, he says then he goes, then he, re, you know, he replies back and says, listen, I, you know, how, how am I, I can't promise I'd become a great teacher. You know, that, that's, who knows, you know. So she goes and she says, says, regardless, if you would promise that you would dedicate your life to Torah, regardless of whether you feel you're the condition of becoming a teacher or not, I would not turn you down for the marriage offer. And then she, she gets up, and with the, the final word, she says, speak to my father, and she, left, and she walked off. You know, he was like stunned. He says, he's never even in his wildest dream thought that he would be able to marry, or even have the possibility of entertaining the idea to marry one of the wealthiest uh, you know, persons, in, the, the people alive in, the, in Israel at the time, his daughter. So he's thinking, and he was extremely impressed with, with Rachel. Everything that she said, so was wise with the, you know, her enthusiasm for the Jewish nation. He was extremely, extremely impressed with her. And he's saying, oh, if only you were poor, if only you were poor like, you know, like me, I would feel comfortable marrying you. I would, you know, take it from, you know, so it, it really, it really made him nervous. He wouldn't be, he wasn't able to go and, um, and, and bring this up to, to her father, Kalva Savua. And he, you know, he didn't have the, the, the courage, so to speak. But he says, he says, oh, if I ever marry you, I will, I will make a vow that I dedicate my life to, to, uh, um, to learning and starting the Holy Torah. Meanwhile, you know, days go by and, uh, Kabbalah Savoy goes and, and he, you know, brings, brings in back his, uh, you know, um, you know, Akiva and he says, uh, so, you know, we never discussed, you know, monetary payment. Like, wh- what's it going to be? So he, Akiva was very nervous and he says, listen, he says, uh, um, I would like to make a request in a slightly different manner. He says, release me from my duties so that I could go study Torah, as your daughter promised to marry me on the condition that I learn Torah. This is what the servant is basically telling the master. So the Kabbalah of was so astonished. She was shocked. He was looking at Akiva. And he's like, for like, like, not, he's like, he's like, has a demon gone inside of you? He's like, are you kidding me? He says, marry my daughter? 
So he says, he says, you know, and Akiva replies back. He says, listen, he says, I'm aware of the, uh, you know, of, of the craziness of the, of the way it sounds, but I would never bring it up unless you brought it up to me. So it's like impossible, Kalpazula says. He calls all the servants, bring in my daughter, bring in Rachel. So Rachel walks into the room, confident, standing up tall, standing up straight, just walks right into the room. And, you know, Kalpazula goes over to her and he says, listen, he says, um, this is something that's been bothering me. He says, you've always been a great girl, you know, always listen. I never felt the need to discipline you. And that's what it makes me so hard to understand what's going on over here. This person that's standing here in front of me, Akiva, he is claiming that you told him that you will marry him if he grows to learn Torah. Not only is he poor, not only is he ignorant, he comes from pig, you know, he comes from, from, uh, you know, the, the Avodah Zarah, you know, he's a, he's a convert to, to the Jewish nation. So, you know, Achel replied back, says, listen, you know, even my father, you know, Akiva, with all that, it's true, but he has such a gift in mind. If he's going to spend his, to- his days and his nights learning Torah, with his intellectual abilities, he will become one of the greatest teachers in the Jewish nation. So, you know, the, you know, the father replied back to her, he's like, foolish child, he says, this guy is 40 years old. He says, what makes you think you'll be able to co- overcome everything that he, you know, that he missed in his, in his early years? He says, he doesn't want to marry you because he learns so He wants to marry you for the money. He wants to marry you for the wealth. So, Akiva was sitting there the whole time. And he's like, he's like, listen, you know, my dear master, you judged me wrong. He says, he says, I want you to marry your daughter for herself, not for the money. And even if she would be poor, I would be happy to marry her, you know, even if she would be as poor as me. So, you know, Ben Kavasuel goes and says, if she was as poor as you, how would you go and learn Torah? It really got him in a good, uh, tight uh, situation up there. So Rachel responded back. And he says, if I were as poor as, as Akiva, I would go and work so that he, my husband, would be able to go and fulfill his mission and learn Torah undisturbed. And so the father replies back to her. He says, you're only saying that because you've never, ta- you never had a day of hunger in your life. You don't know what it means to be poor. You've never experienced hunger. So she replies back to him and says, you're right. I've never experienced hunger, but I'm not afraid of it. He, she goes to him and she says, you know, you have such a love for the Jewish nation and you are willing to give up your storage houses to, to feed the Jewish nation for 21 years until it was burned down. He says, I too have that love for the Jewish nation, but I want to give something to the Jewish nation that can be burnt down by a physical fire. And that is the, the, the fire of the Holy Torah, the fire that the Torah was able to continue on with uh, generation to generation. So... Um, Ben, ben Kavah was, uh, was, was, was extremely upset about the situation. And he goes and he says, you are going to, you're supposed to leave my house this very, you're going to leave my house this very day. He tells Akiva. He says, this is not the place for you anymore. And she go, he goes over to his daughter, you know, and he says, listen, I'll go to Yavne, the biggest yeshiva place in the, you know, in the world at the time. I will get you the best student possible that is able to learn. I will bring him here to you and you can marry him and learn to all, you know, with this, with a student for the, for your entire life. And Rachel said, you know, Listen, you know, my dear father, I have given Akiva my word, and I will, I will commit to it, and I will never marry anybody else. And now Kavasavol got really angry. And he says, and he stands up and he says, I no longer consider you, if you go and you continue with this, I no longer consider you my daughter. And he says, listen well to the vow that is going to come out of my mouth right now about this. And he says, you, and this is what Kavasavol says, you will not receive anything, not the slightest thing from all my possessions. You are not to take a thing from this house with you, except with the clothing that you're wearing on your, on you. And then he goes over to her and says, now choose between him or me. That's what her father said. And Rachel replied back to his father, as God is my witness, it hurts me deeply that I angered you. The riches I could part with. I don't have a problem with that. But one thing that I'll miss the most is your fatherly love. So he replies back there. So you made up your mind? And she said, yes. So the Kavos says to leave with this man. And he, and she had to leave with her, you know, with, with her, you know, potential future husband, Akiva. And they left. 
and they actually got married. They actually, they went and they had a very modest wedding and they got married. Now, to fulfill his end of the deal, now they had to go and, you know, go to Yeshiva. So they traveled to a nearby town, a very poor village. She went and she sold everything that she had that was of wealth of her. With the money that she had, you know, she had some jewelry on her. She was, she was able to, you know, expensive clothing. She sold that and they bought a very, very modest two-bedroom house. Two-bedroom, I shouldn't say a house, two-bedroom hut. And uh, barely furnished. And that's where they were going to live. Now, after the, after they got married, she, so he goes and he says, okay, now it's time to go and learn in Shabbat. I have to stand up to my uh, word with you. And she goes and she says, okay, let me go find the rabbi. She goes and she, she meets uh, the, the, the big rabbi in, the, in, you know, in the area. And she starts speaking to him. says, listen, you know, I want my husband to come and learn with you Torah. And this rabbi is looking at her and he says, you know, my dear daughter says, you look so familiar. He says, what is your name? So she says, you know, I'm Rachel, uh, you know, the son of Kalva Savua. So the rabbi is looking shocked. He says, what happened to your father? Did he lose all his money? He's looking at her. She's a poor, you know, pauper. She's ripped clothes, you know, you know, looks like she lost all her money. She says, no, 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 no. my father still has all his money. So he goes and says, so, you know, what's going on over here? Why are you dressed like a pauper? We're like, well, what's going on? So she explains him the whole situation about her father, about Akiva, and how, you know, he, he, he made a vow that she's not allowed to, he's not allowed to use any of her possessions, and now he's, you know, she's, uh, that's why she's here, she wants to go on her husband now to learn, uh, Torah. So, the rabbi was very, very impressed with her, and he says, you know, your self-sacrifice will be praised by our people for thousands of years, and you will serve as a role model to the daughters of Israel. And he says, of course. Bring, bring, uh, bring your husband over. And to bring the husband over, the husband, you know, it comes in, and, you know, the rabbi speaks to him, says, so, uh, what do you learn about, the, what do you know about Torah? So, he says, to be honest, nothing. He says, uh, do you know how to read? Nope. You know the alphabet? Nope. Nothing. So, wow. So, he says, yeah, we gotta start you on the, the beginner, beginner level. And they start, they start teaching him. They start teaching him alphabet. A 40 year old man is going and he's learning alphabet with a bunch of children. A bunch of children are sitting in a class and he's learning, he's learning the, the basics. And, you know, he was very, every, one of the things that made Rabbi Akiva so great is he didn't take anything for granted. He says, okay, the Aleph makes this noise and it's spread, and it's spelled like this. Right away he asks a question. He says, why is the Aleph spelled like that? Why is the Aleph looked like this way? Why is, you know, what, and he, and he started asking all these, all these, you know, questions. And the rabbis went and they answered him. Meanwhile, a few days go by and they're learning the Aleph, but, and, you know, the entire, you know, place, everyone's laughing at him. Here you have a tall man, you know, one of the characteristics that we know about, uh, you know, that the, about Akiva is most likely he was a bold. He was bold. So you have a tall, 40-year-old, bold man sitting in a classroom, a bunch of, uh, you know, little children learning the alphabet. Everyone's laughing. Everyone, the whole, the whole place is, you know, it's a joke. So he goes over to Akhari and says, listen, you know, I'm trying over here, but, you know, they're laughing at me nonstop. It's very difficult. So his wife, the wisdom that she has, unbelievable lessons that you can learn from her. Wow. She goes to him and says, I, oh, I totally understand you, my dear husband. He says, no problem. He says, but I have a, a request for you. He says, of course, my wife, anything. And she says, you know, they had a donkey, or they borrowed a donkey. He says, take this donkey, and I want you to uh, put soil on its back. And he puts soil on his back, and then she says, I want you to go and plant some seeds on his back. He goes and he plants some seeds on his back. Then she says, I want you to water it. And within a few days, he's watering it, as I guess the seeds that, that grew very quickly, and a little flower started sprouting from this, uh, from this donkey's back. And she goes over to him and he says, listen, I want you to go and take this to the market. Just, just walk around. Don't tell anything, don't do anything, just walk around the market. Just whatever you want, my dear wife. Anything that you want, I will do. He takes the donkey and he starts walking around the market. He comes home that night and she says, so, how was, uh, how was the walk in the market? He says, to be honest, it was brutal. He says, you know, I walked into the market. Everyone was pointing and laughing. Look at this guy who has a donkey that's growing flowers from his back. And she says, wow, you know, that is, that is tough. He says, you know, do me a favor. Do it tomorrow as well. Says, Whatever you want, my dear wife, I'll do it. 
The next day goes, and he brings the donkey back into the um, into the market, and people again are laughing, and la- pointing, and laughing. Look at this guy; he's going crazy. Look, he has a donkey that's growing. He has grass growing on this donkey. She comes. He comes back home, and for the next few days, she tells him, "Keep on bringing it back. Just just walk around it." And after about a week or so, she goes over to to Akiva and says, "Akiva, tell me. So, what is there? How, how's it been in the in the in the marketplace with the donkey?" Says to be honest, it's uh, you know it's not so bad anymore. He says, you know, people got sort of used to it. He's like, oh yeah, here's the guy, the crazy guy with the donkey and the flowers. And no one even laughed at me, no one pointed, no one did anything to me about it. So <clears throat> the genius of the wife, Rachel, goes over to her husband. So this is, this is, woman should learn from this, from the, from this amazing story. She goes over to him and she says, listen, he says, jo- you're right, they're gonna laugh at you at Yeshiva. They're gonna laugh at you, yeah. But just like they laughed at you and the donkey for a few days, eventually they stopped. So too, keep on going to Yeshiva. Don't worry about it. They're going to laugh at it. Eventually, they're going to get used to it. They're going to see, oh, this is the guy that learns in pre-1A. Hey, don't worry about it. And then, you know, you'll be able to continue without any issues. And Kachaya, and this is how he went. He went back to Yeshiva. And, yeah, they laughed at it. And then eventually, they got used to it. They got used to the guy, you know, learning in, um, in, in, uh, you know, as a, as a, a older man with a, with a bunch of, you know, you know, basic, uh, Judaism with Alphabet and, and all the basics with all the kids. So, meanwhile, Akiva was, was studying, you know, nonstop. He was, you know, uh, learning day in, day out. And meanwhile, his wife had to go and support the, the, the family. So, while Akiva was learning, you know, nonstop, his wife was working nonstop in any, you know, odd job that she could find to possibly put food on the table. And she kept on taking a little money and saving it on the side so that she would be able to go and, you know, eventually there's gonna come a time where Bizarre Shem there will be a Mazel Tov and you're not gonna be able to really work. So she wanted to save some extra, some extra, uh, some in case, in case that comes. So meanwhile, you know, she saves a small amount and time goes by and, um, you know, the, the, there was a person in their town by the name of Eliyahu, and he was extremely, extremely poor. And not only that, he broke his leg, and he wasn't able to work. And at the same point in time, his wife gave birth to a baby. And now, you know, they have a baby expense, and now they have, you know, he's not able to work. They actually have to sell every possession that they have, and then they, they had nothing left. So they, you know, people were, you know, it was a poor town, nobody was able to give money. And, you know, he goes over to Akiva, he sees him walking past by, he's like, Akiva, do you have any, something to, to pay, you know, something to put food on the table? I got nothing. So, Akiva feels terrible. This is for another fellow Jewish person. So he goes over to his, his wife, Rachel, you know, after she, um, you know, she comes, after he comes home and he says, listen, he says, he says, there's somebody who is even poorer than us. He says, can you imagine that? Which made him feel also a little bit good because, you know, it bothered him about the, the, the condition that his wife was living in. The wife was living, you know, every morning she had to wake up, she had to pull straw out of her hair because they used to sleep on straw. And it really bothered him that we're living in such poverty. And now that there was someone who was poor, it gave a little bit of a, you know, okay, I, you know, it's not that bad. It could be worse. So he says, you know, I says, I wish we had some extra money, not only that we could live better, but rather that we could, you know, at least alleviate some of the issues and the suffering that our neighbors has. So she says, listen, you know, I have been saving some sort of money. And she goes and she runs in, takes her savings, a little savings that she has, she says, here, we have some little money saved up. I was saving it for, for a certain occasion, but go ahead and bring it to the poor person. So he takes, he takes the money and he's, he's like, unbelievable. He says, your trust in God, Rachel, is so, is as, not only as, it's greater than your love for the Torah, that you're able to give the little thing that we have away to somebody else. And he goes and he, he starts praising her. He says, I am the wealthiest man in the world. He says, I do not envy the Roman emperor with all his wealth. Says I got the best the the, the best deal in the, in the entire world. I got the best wife, and I am the wealthiest person. Meanwhile, he goes, he takes them, he takes the money, he brings it over to to this poor uh, person, Eliyahu, and his family. Eliyahu is sitting in there, and he's, he's like, "Oh my God, thank you so much! It's so unbelievable!" He's like praising it, uh, you know, Akiva, you're unbelievable, you're amazing. Akiva says, "I don't know, listen." So you're praising the wrong person. It has nothing to do with me. It's my wife that you have to thank. It's my wife. She's the one that that, that gave this. So he continues going. And he continues learning. Meanwhile, after a short while later, Rachel gives birth to a baby. 
and she's home, and he's not able to, you know, she's not able to support the family. So he goes over to his rabbi and says, listen, I'm going to be coming in a little bit late every morning. I'm going to have to go and, and make some money. I'm going to start uh, working a little bit in a few hours in the morning. And he went, and he became uh, like a wood chopper. So he chopped some wood. He goes, and he's, he's chopping the wood. And um, he, you know, the, he takes the wood, and now he uses the wood to sleep on. He uses the wood to, you know, to, for fire, and then he sells the wood. He basically, you know, everything evolves around that. So much so that he would, this is the level of his devotion that he was able to learn. He took a, a, a piece of wood, basically a torch, and with that he used to go and read over all, review at night, all the, the learning that he missed during the day, because now that he was working. So he was sitting there with a torch in his hand and the, you know, reading the old scrolls, and he's learning and he's learning, and meanwhile, he, you know, his hand starts burning, and he realizes the entire thing went down and it, and, it, and it burned in his hand. He was so engrossed in his learning, he didn't even realize that it was club coming close to his hand. So this is, you know, such a lesson that you can learn from this as well. You have two people that are coming even to a class. There's one person that can learn a thousand times more than the other person. Two people are sitting and learning Torah. One person can sit and learn Torah and be like, okay, whatever, you know, let's say they're listening to Shul Torah. So they're listening to it, they're doing 7,000 things at the same time, which is great, at least they're listening to Shul Torah, right? They're listening to, let's say, in Torah anytime, right? You have it playing in the background and then you're, you're on the, you know, you're on the, uh, web, you know, searching from browsing for shopping for shoes. You know, which is, granted, it's great. Keep on doing what you're doing, you're learning, but it's not the same that if you're sitting and you're concentrating, you're learning Torah. There are two people that can be learning Torah and they're sitting in the, in the shul, one of them is spacing out, one of the thinking. One other person is learning, is constantly focused, constantly, you know, in, in his, in his mind is in Torah. We learn more than a thousand times than another person. Rabbi Kiva was the type of person, when he's learning Torah, he was all in it. He was all, he didn't even feel the fire that was burning down in his, uh, in his hand. So, the, um, he, you know, he, once he made enough money, you know, you think somebody makes enough money. So now what do you do? You put some money on the side, you save it, maybe eventually you open up a business and then you'll be able to get rid of your more money and then you have workers, then you can save and learn more to a I keep it wasn't like that. Once he had enough money that would last him for a few days, he stopped working. So he stopped working, went to the Yeshiva full time. Once he ran out of money, then he went back to work for another, for another, uh, a few days. So, you know, Akiva, when he was, uh, um, when he had his, his love and his thirst for Torah was so great that, that he, he had a thirst for knowledge in general. He did not only go and, and, uh, learn just, you know, and just only you know, focus on Torah. Every, he met a doctor, he would start questioning him about every little detail about it and learn from that also. He met, you know, a mathematician, he started speaking to him about math. Astronomers, a linguist, no matter any craftsman that he met, he would go and he would start interrogating them and finding out more information about it. To, and, and he would make use of that for the Torah as well. Meanwhile, at this point in time, there was uh, uh, the famous Titus. He went and he destroyed uh, the temple, you know. So he went and he, um, he, uh, you know, he was at sea. And, you know, and, and God was basically making this tremendous crazy wave and crazy like storm that it looked like his entire ship is going to drown. So he goes over and he, he stands on his deck and he realizes, okay, God, the God of the Jews, I know this is what you're doing to me. It's because I destroyed your temple. He says, but I see that you have only power on water. So that you're able to beat me on water. Paro, you destroyed in water. Me, I destroy your temple. Where are you going to get me at water also at the sea? So he says, Titus replies and says, listen, you want to fight me? Fight me mano a mano on land. Let's see how much you could, you, you'll be able to do that. So God says, all right, you want to play like that? No problem. He goes, the, instantly the entire sea becomes quiet. He goes, the second that he steps foot on the, on the ground, Hashem says, God tells him, says, not only am I going to get you, I'm going to send my smallest messenger to go and kill you. And he says a mosquito, this tiny little mosquito, this little fly. He goes in the second that he steps on the ground. This mosquito flies into his nostril and goes into his, uh, you know, into into his brain. And this mosquito started, uh, you know, nibbling at the brain. 
and this was causing, you know, Titus tremendous headaches, tremendous thing, you know, tremendous pain and suffering. And one day he's, he's walking around and he passed by this like craft shop that is, they're doing their baking because they're, you know, making the swords, whatever they're, they're, they're doing and they're making it. And he realized it with all this noise, suddenly his head stopped hurting. The, 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 the fly in there sort of like the noise got to dis- disturbed it and it sort of was, was resting. So Titus says, all right, this is what I have to do. And he went and he hired an entire like, you know, entourage of people just to make a noise wherever he goes. So this way that the fly would be uh, calm. This lasted for about 30 days until the fly got used to the noise. And then he started, you know, kept on, uh, you know, biting, kept on uh, going on in its brain. And uh, eventually it took about two years where Titus died. And they did an autopsy on him. They opened up his head and they saw this huge humongous fly that basically ate up most of him, the majority of his, of, of his brain. And, you know, so he, when he was, uh, this, and he was emperor at that point in time. So when he was, uh, after, after Titus's death, the, his brother, Domitian, or Domitian also pronounced, he, uh, he took over as emperor. So during this time, um, during this time, I know I'm sorry, Willie, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go a little bit further because I want to, cont- I want to, you know, try to get in, but if anybody needs to leave, even if I just say, yeah. So he goes, uh, and, and uh, the Jewish nation decided that now that there's a new emperor, let us go and let us, uh, um, send a, uh, delegation to, you know, basically, you know, become on his good side. Give him a nice, sizable, you know, beautiful, you know, uh, donation to his empire on his coronation day and, you know, help him on his, uh, uh, maybe get a good relationship between the Jews and the Roman Empire. Because the Roman Empire, they were subjugated under that nation. So, they, um, the person that it was choose, chosen to go and, and to become the, um, the messenger was Nahum Ishgamzu, which was Rabbi Kiva's rabbi. Nahum Ishgamzu. So, you know, Nahum Ishgamzu goes to the student and says, listen, you know, Kiva, I gotta go now. They send me as a delegation. I have to go, um, for the Jewish nation. I need to, I need to go and travel now to Rome. So he says, you know, Kiva says, well, what are we gonna do about our learning? He says, we need to learn Torah. How am I gonna learn Torah? He was so thirsty for Torah. He says, what do you mean? I'm gonna leave a few months. I'm not gonna learn Torah. So, you know, Nahum Ishgamzu said, listen, he says, come along with me. We'll learn on the way. So nowadays, what do we do? You know, you're sitting over there, you travel for six hours, right? We, you know, you say you have to sit there and you have to watch the in-flight entertainment and, you know, you have to go and you have to relax. And it's also mind-boggling. They traveled for months, they had to travel for weeks, if not months, on a ship, sacrificing their life just to get to a certain location. You know, besides the seasickness and the storms that they had to go through, besides the starvation and the amount of, uh, who knows what, the troubles and the tribulations that they had to go through from traveling, nowadays... We sit on this, you know, this airplane, and then, you know, we start complaining if there's a little shakiness. People don't even realize you're sitting on a flying dumpster with 200 people that who knows how is flying, you know, how many people there are know about aerodynamics, and it's flying at, you know, 600 miles per hour, thousands upon thousands of feet in the air, and you get, like, air conditioning, you get entertainment, you get warm food served to you, you could go to the bathroom, you know, there's a running toilet. If you have enough money, you could go on the Emirates flight and you could actually go and you could actually take a shower on a plane. You know, so you have all these things. That, yeah. Oh, how was the flight? Oh, man, it was so much turbulence. You know, it was like for 10 minutes, it was shaking. You're flying on a plane. That's a, you're flying on a piece of metal flying through the air. You're, no, it's not, it's not a dumpster. I should have said, it's, you're flying in a missile. You're basically flying in a missile and yet we complain. But anyways, what do we do? We go there, we have a hard time sleeping, we start complaining. Nachamwish Gamzu and Abi Akiba, they're going, they're traveling for months on the boat. What do they do on the boat? They go and they sit on the breeze, you know, and enjoy the water over there and, you know, singing in the song while the, the, you know, on the, on the deck. They were, they were learning Torah. They were learning non-stop Torah. So, uh, they, they went and they continued learning Torah and, and Nachamwish Gamzu went with his rabbi and he was learning on, on, in, in the journey. 
So uh, while the, while they weren't learning, Nachumish Gamzu, you know, found an opportunity also to learn about these uh, sailors. He learned from every single person that came to him. So he started watching the sailors, how they navigate a ship, how they do, the, and he started learning everything about the, that has to do with the ship and the navigation and the seas and things like that. Meanwhile. Uh, Rabbi Akiva was up on, on the top deck, and I guess uh, Nachumish Gamzu was either not around or, or down below, the, below the deck, and there was a crazy storm that came into effect, and the ship was going backwards and forwards, and the, you know, the bunch of drunk sailors were rolling all the place back and forth, everyone screaming, that's it, it's, this is the end, this is, like, you know, we're gonna die. You know, and Akiva stands up, tall man, he says, he starts, he quiets everybody down, he says, listen everybody, he says, don't worry about it, we're not going to die, I have my holy rabbi, my holy teacher is over here, he's so holy, it's not gonna die because of him. He says, come, let us get, go together and pray for, for God. And he stands over there and he starts praying to God. He says, God, please have saved us and have mercy on us. And people see him, his, you know, the, he, they were very impressed with, you know, just his ability to do whatever he just did. And they all started praying with him. And shortly afterwards, a few minutes go by and the entire sea calms down. So there was a person that was sent, uh, that was, that was near there, uh, near, 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 uh, you know, Akiva at that time. Um, and his name was uh, Flavius Clemens. And he says, he goes over to Akiva and he says, you know, I'm extremely impressed with what you just did. So you should know that I'm closely re- related to the emperor. And if you ever need anything, he didn't have a, they didn't have cards back then, but imagine, it's like, here's my card, you know, call me, you know, if you ever need anything. So, the, um, they went and they continued and shortly they, they landed on, on, on land. And they were so, the majority of the, the entire crew was so seasick by the, the entire storm that they just had, that they were, they actually became sick. So they needed to rest, so they rested in an inn before continuing to, to the Roman um, capital. So while they're sitting through the inn, they're going in there, and they check in their luggage, I guess if you may. And in their luggage is this magnificent chest, which is all the jewels and the diamonds that the Jews collected, to give to the, to the emperor Domitian. Or, um, so they go in, and they hand in the, the, this, this beautiful chest, and the innkeeper takes it, puts it on the side of the sidekeeping, and the innkeeper wives look at that and be like, wow, you know, it's a nice looking chest, I wonder what's inside it. So the innkeeper says, well, let's check it. They go, they pick the lock, whatever they do, they open it up, and they see this entire thing is full of chest, full of jewels, in a tremendous value. So they're, suddenly they're like, they're like, we're rich. So says, what are we supposed to do over here? So the innkeeper says, listen, I have an idea. He goes and he takes out an entire, all the jewels, puts it in his safe, he goes into the backyard, digs out some, some dirt, and fills up the chest with dirt. And he closes the chest, locks it back up again, and says, no one will be the wiser. When they will, we'll deny it. So, they go after after a short while, uh, you know, Nachumish Gamzu and Rabbi Akiva. They go and they, they start feeling better, and they continue their journey to Rome. They go, they take the chest, and they start making their way towards Rome. They get to Rome, they get to the capital. I'm sorry, and um, they go, they see the Emperor Domitian, and they say, "Listen, Domitian," he says, "You know, we have a gift on behalf of the Jewish nation. We want to go and congr- congratulate you on your becoming the emperor." And uh, you know, here's your gift. And he looks at this magnificent, you know, a chest with, you know, you know, beautiful, uh, bedazzled all around. He says, wow, I wonder what's going to be inside here. It's, it's so amazing. He opens it up, and to his shock, he sees a bunch of whole dirt. And he starts screaming, the Jews, they're mocking me. So says, this is what they think. That, oh, they're not going to go un- untouched with this. He says, look at this. I, <coughs> excuse me, I just became emperor, and they send me a dirt. They're thinking that I'm dirt. So meanwhile, who was present at this point in time? Flavius Clemens, the guy who was on the boat, who was also present. And he was like, oh, hold up, uh, emperor. He says, I was with these two sages on the boat. He says, these two are not, uh, these just, uh, your run-of-the-mill sages. And someone else piped up and says, listen, he says, the Jews that were known, their forefather, Abraham, had special dirt. That when he would go and he would fight at war and he would throw this dirt, this dirt will turn into like missiles and bombs and arrows and knives and everything, and it will be able to take apart the entire, the entire thing. Maybe this is a magical dirt. 
So the um, so so the, the the emperor Domitian he says he says you know what he says you know that that intrigued him he says magical dirt you know I like that you know they believed in those in those type of things uh, you know back then very very superstitious so he says if this is if this is that powerful dirt he says oh I could definitely use some of it. One of the things that Domitian was lacking is that his his uh, he's, he's was he was foretold, and his father also told us to him. He says the, uh, the astrologers told um, his father that Domitian he's going to die by the sword. That's was that's what's going to be his end. So the father, so they, they the entire family, everybody, he was not allowed to go into war because they realized if he goes into war, he'll die. One of the things that uh, emperor, the honor that an emperor gets is after he comes back from war, there is a tremendous parade for him. You know, like the entire capital comes back after, obviously, he wins a war. So there's tremendous honor that this Domitian was lacking. So he was like, he's like, listen, he's like, he's like, I'm not, but if I'm able to go into war with this, he says, oh, this changes everything. There was a certain uh, uh, Germanic tribes that were causing problems to the empire. And they weren't they were able to rebel them. They weren't able to actually subdue them, uh, this rebellious. This rebellion. So he says, he goes and he says, alright, lock up these sages, I'm gonna go and test it up. And he goes to him, Clemens, Flavius Clemens, you're in charge while I'm, uh, while I'm gone. So, he goes, he takes the dirty, packs it up with his entourage, and he leaves. Meanwhile, Flavius Clemens goes and he releases the two, the sages from, from the prison, and he says, listen, he says, uh, I'm releasing you, but you have to promise me that you're not leaving the country. You have to stay in the area until he comes back, until we get it through, but I'm not gonna keep you locked up, you can go as, as you please. So, they agreed. They promised. They gave him his word, and uh, they they was they you know they you know just hung around and waited. Meanwhile, the um, you know what were they doing? Learning to walk. The same thing that they do everywhere else they, that they go. And while they weren't learning Tuam, so Rabbi Akiva was going and he was admiring the land. He saw all these statues and the architecture and he was, again, learning from like every single aspect of it. And he, you, you know, he also, you know, was, was conversing, conversing, conversing with the population. The population, however, spoke, spoke Latin. Not with the language he spoke in Hebrew. So he actually started picking up Latin. And he started, you know, you know, as, as he was conversing, he was, he was very bright and he was able to pick up things very quickly. And, um, he goes and, you know, one of these days, you know, he's going and he's, and he's looking at the, you know, one of those wondrous, uh, magnificent, you know, um, you know, the, the, you know, structures that they built. And he, he feels a hand on his shoulder. He turns around and it's his, uh, his new friend, uh, Flavius Clemens. And he says, beautiful, isn't it? Isn't Rome magnificent? So he says, you know, Akiva looks at it and he says, you know, it's, it, it's beautiful, but you know, you see you guys are focusing only on the worldly pleasure. So you know it's all gonna fall and crumble on one day. Rome would also fall and crumble. Everything's gonna fall and crumble. Meanwhile, Flavius comes and says, okay, listen. He says, be careful how you speak about Rome. You know, like the Madrasha. You know, you don't speak about certain certain things. You know, Mother Rome. You know, you gotta be careful. I'm in charge. You know, if they, they hear you say about that, that's not gonna be good for you. So he says, um, but he says, he says, you know, he's conversing in Latin and he says, I'm surprised to see you here for, for such a short period of time and you're able to converse in Latin so fluidly, fluidly. So he says, yeah, you know, I pick it up. I'm, uh, you know, learning it. So he says, listen, I want to introduce you to my wife, uh, Domitella. Says, uh, his, Clemens' wife, Domitella, uh, she was a granddaughter of the Emperor Vespasian and who was also, she was also the niece of the Emperors Titus and Domitian. So right now she is the niece of the current Emperor Do- Domitian. So he says, um, you know, the, uh, you know, she, she wanted to meet you because she wanted to exper- express her things that, you know, because of you the entire ship was saved. So Mikhail again says, listen, it wasn't me, you know, it was my teacher's merit. He says, oh, I'm just a beginner, I'm just a student. So, you know, Flavius Clemens says, listen, you know, I've been around the block. I could see you and I could see your knowledge abilities. He says, even if you just started, you're no beginner. So, 
they go and he brings them over to invite him over to, to his house. And they go and they sit with Domitella and Flavius comes and is sitting there with his wife. And they start talking. And they start talking about uh, Judaism and, and, you know, everything that he asks. And Rabbi Kiva starts explaining to him. And they, these, this couple becomes fascinated with Judaism. And they start, you know, they start asking all these things. And suddenly a servant comes in, into the room. And he says, you know, our master is the, um, dinner is ready. So Mattela goes over to Akiva and says, Akiva, are you going to join us for, for dinner as well? So, uh, you know, Akiva says, I can't. Now picture what somebody would say, you, you meet somebody who saved your life basically from them, from the emperor, who because of him you are, you know, alive today, and then he goes and he invites you over to a meal in his house. You're gonna be able to say no? Well, Akiva doesn't play any games. He says, uh, he says, I can't. He says, I, all your food is impure. Says we have certain laws about slaughter, and I can't eat in your, in your impure. Uh, in, in, like, didn't you know? Didn't uh, you know? Fluff it up. Say it as it is. So, and they respected him for that. So he says, "How do you live? You know, how do you, how are you surviving over here?" He says, "We live off the fruits. Me and my teacher, we live off the fruits of the land." So she says, "She says, okay, we understand." He says, uh, "You know, I guess you're free to go, but uh, please uh, come back. We're very fascinated about this whole Judaism, and it says, you know, very interesting things that you've been telling us that we never heard before. Um, we'd like to converse with you again." So he leaves. Meanwhile, the emperor Domitian he goes and he he um, he meets uh, this this uh, the the this delegation or not the delegation the rebellion. He basically travels to the rebellion and he takes the sand and he goes to the front lines and he throws the sand. And a miracle happened. It actually turned into like these bombs and these crazy swords and this crazy thing, and it it, it scared the entire the entire rebellion. And he was able to subdue them with a very very quickly amount of time. When the news came back to uh, um, to the to, to the capital about what you know, look at how great you know we were trying to subdue this rebellion for who knows how long. Now the emperor comes within a day, everything is done. So he comes in. There's a tremendous parade from him. He's getting his kavod up the wazoo, and he is loving it. And he's going over there. He's so happy. He goes right, right when he comes back. He goes and he starts, uh, you know, giving sacrifices to the Jupiter God. You know, the, they used to, all the all the avodazara that they used to uh, um, set, um, um, set, uh, worship. And then he goes and and he he calls on the Jewish sages, and he thanked them publicly for 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 what they did. He says the the land that you unbelievable. I am forever grateful for you. And he sent and he took the box. He emptied out all the dirt, scrapped all the dirt, cleaned it up. You know, mopped it out inside, took all the dirt, put it in a very safe place, and then he filled that entire thing up with the, with the, you know, the, the emperor's level of gifts, you know, full of jewels, diamonds, gold, coins, everything to the top, and says, here's my present back to you, you know, and peace be on you. And they go, and they leave. As they leave, they stop by the same inn. So they, you know, see what goes on. So, and, you know, word came out about what happened, the emperor, how much he, you know, he did it publicly, how much he, you know, for the dirt, this amazing dirt that, you know, that this, uh, this, uh, uh, these sages brought in. So meanwhile, the innkeeper hears about this. The innkeeper's wife hears about this, and they're like, "It's our dirt. This is dirt from our backyard." He says, "He says, let's go. Let's bring it also. Maybe the you know the emperor would also uh, reward us." So they go and they fill up this beautiful. They get this huge chest, even double the size from what they had before, and they fill it up and they bring and they travel to the capital. They go into the capital and you know they stop him in the front and he says, "Can I help you?" He says, "Yeah, uh, we're here to bring the same dirt that the sages brought in, the powerful magical dirt. It came from my backyard." He says, "I'm bringing it to the emperor. I'm giving him more and more. I heard he enjoyed it so much. I want to, the amazing emperor. I want to give him more and more gifts." So you know they heard about this, so they said, "Oh, amazing! They brought them. Uh, they brought them right in." And um, they went and they tried this out. So, all right, listen, this is a powerful dirt. Let's try it. They go, they throw it in the air. It starts blowing back in their face. It's going back. In it's like they throw another batch. Nothing. It's a plain dirt. The emperor says, are you trying to make a fool of me? He says, now do you think that I gave somebody to think every, every fool that's going to bring dirt, I'm just going to... He says, these two are making a mockery of the, uh, of the emperor. And he both had, he had them all killed. 
the entire the entire crew over there. So. Meanwhile, they go, the, the Chachamim, the sages, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Nachum Mishkamzu, they go and they travel back to, uh, back to the, to, to the homeland, to, back to Israel. And meanwhile, you know, they each, they each go settle back in, a few days go by, and, you know, Rabbi Akiva goes to visit his rabbi to continue learning for him. And he, what he sees shocks him. He sees his rabbi, he's sitting over there, and his, you know, he's paralyzed, unable to move his arms, unable to move his legs, he has boils everywhere. And he says, Rabbi, dear rabbi, what happened? What's going on over here? He says, it pains me to see that you're suffering so. So the rabbi says, no, just the opposite. He says, it's, it's good that I'm suffering now. I'm suffering for my sins. He says, what sins? What, what happened? And he starts explaining to him, you know, I was traveling. I was going to visit my father-in-law. And I was, as I was traveling, some poor man came and asked me for, for food. And I went, so I got off my donkey and I started unpacking. And I, you know, I was walking slowly. And by the time I turned around to give him some food, I realized that he was so starving that he, that he, that he kneeled over and died. He died from salvation because I didn't go and I didn't give him fast enough. So it says it's good that you see me suffering now. So at least I don't have to suffer in the next world. So uh, you know, a short while later, he goes. Nachamish Gamzu goes and he uh, returns his soul to his um, to his maker. And again, the entire Israel mourned another great, great uh, leader that uh, and, and the death of this amazing teacher of the, of the Jewish nation. Meanwhile. You have over here Rabbi Akiva, his rabbi just passed away, and he doesn't have, you know, anybody to learn from. So he goes and, uh, him and his wife, Rachel, they decide that he is going to go to a Shiva in Yavne. Yavne was the big capital where all the, where Shiva is. There were two big, you know, the big, uh, Chachamim of that time, Rabbi Lezab ben Horkines and Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya. So they go, he says, um, you know, she decided, I want you to go, and I want you to go, uh, learn over there, Rachel says. So she goes, you know, one of her friends go over to her and say, uh, listen, you know, to travel there is three and a half days of travel time. Each way. So it says, I don't understand. You're going to send your husband there. He's going to travel three and a half days. Stay there for what, a half a day and then travel back for Shabbat? How, you know, what I was going to be? Achaz says, oh no, no, I would never make him travel for me. It says, oh, that waste three and a half days of traveling, a week of traveling every time? So no, no, no. I wanted to stay here. The going rate was when you go and learn in Shabbat, you stay there for 12 years. I wanted to stay there for 12 years and learn. And she says, well, you know, Achaz, are you crazy? He says, what's, what do you mean? You say, you're sitting there in dire poverty. You had everything. Rachel was, would have been able to marry the richest person in the world. She didn't, she didn't need to marry the richest person in the world. Could have married anybody. She still wouldn't have to work a day in her life, have maid servants, everything that she wanted instantly. And yet she gave it all up so that her husband could all learn to laugh. So, but not only that, now, not only you're giving up that, now you're giving up your husband as well, so you're not gonna, you're gonna raise your kids, you're gonna support your family somehow, and you're gonna send your husband away for 12 years and not even gonna be able to see him, and the, you know, for sacrifice, well, how much can you sacrifice already? And it says, whatever I need to do to get him to learn to walk, that's what I will do. And she goes, and she sends him to learn to walk. Nowadays, for all the married women that are listening, you know, they go, and you have the, the husband wants to go and learn to walk. Oh, he never spends time with me. You know, we want to go, we want to say, you know, and granted, you are supposed to spend time with your wives. It is extremely important. No, it's an obligation that you need to spend time with your wife. And you have to make sure you spend some time with your wife. But some women, they refuse to let their husbands go and learn to walk. And if then if they don't refuse it, do you at least push your husband to learn to walk? Look at how much lessons you can learn from Rachel. How much he pushed Rabbi Akiva. And look what he became. He became the greatest. Why? Because he had a strong woman behind him. So he goes and, and, uh, she sends, you know, uh, you know, Rabbi Akiva to go and learn in Yavne, learn, learn there for, for 12 years. He goes, he goes into the Yeshiva, Rabbi Akiva, and he sits by the teacher's, you know, feet, doesn't say a word, and he just soaks everything in. He's sitting over there and he's like, you know, learning, learning years go by. Meanwhile, but he had the same thirst, so he would ask all these questions, you know, he was walking once in the street, and he saw a, you know, the, one of the biggest rabbis, Rabbi Nechunya. And Rabbi Nechunya was an older gentleman, so he goes over to, to, to the rabbi and says, he says, Rabbi, how did you marry to live such an old age? 
the servants that were near the rabbi thought, well, the chutzpan, this guy, look at him, guys, you know, so, audacity that you have to speak to a rabbi like that. So they started chasing him. So he runs up a tree. And while he's running up the tree, he, he asks another question. He was so searched for knowledge and didn't stop. He's like, he's like, rabbi, he says, why does it say keves echad? Keves is singular. Echad is also singular. Why do we need the double lashon? So Reb Nechunya sees that he's really just asking questions to learn. So he tells the son, he says, no, 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 leave him down, come down. He says, I see that he's really thirsty to learn. He says, come down and I'll answer your questions. So he says, first of all, Kebes Echad, it says the reason why it says Kebes, which is singular, and Echad also that's singular, is because to show you that not only you take one sheep, you take the best of the sheep. Additionally, you want to know why I lived such a long life? He says, he says he gave him a few reasons. First of all, I never accepted any gifts. It says, somebody who hates gifts will live. So not only that, I didn't take, I never took revenge for any bad that was done to me. Also, I forgave people for any harm they caused me, just like I forgave them, God forgave my sins. And additionally, any riches that God gave me, I gave benefit to others. So that's why I was benefit for the, for the, um, the long life. And this is how Rabbi Akiva went and he continued asking questions, things like that. But in Yeshiva and his students, he was very, in front of his rabbis, he was very, you know, just soaking in all the knowledge. Meanwhile, 12 years, almost 12 years go by, and he's sitting there in front of the rabbis, and they have this, uh, um, this sort of a disagreement, they're not sure, they're, they're arguing back and forth, the big rabbis, what is this, the law? The problem that came was it was a um, what happens when Pesach, there's a you're supposed to give a korban Pesach on erev Pesach. So what happens if erev Pesach falls out on Shabbat? Are you able to give the put the korban Pesach on Shabbat? So they were going back and forth, bringing proofs back and forth here and there. And um, meanwhile, you know the you know Akiva stands up and he says something, but he says it with such clarity and brings so many proofs. Like everyone turns around and be like. What? Like, who's this guy? Like, how, you know, like, you know, you get lost in a big Yeshiva. All of a sudden, Akiva shows who he, what, all the knowledge that he has. And from that moment on, it wasn't just like, you know, Akiva sitting down by the stores. He was like, okay, everybody knew that, you know, this guy knows his stuff. And not only that, when somebody went and, and had any question on the mathematics, on medicine, on astrology, and, and any and other science, they went and they asked Akiva, because he was the guy who just learned from everything. And he would go, he would answer them, and then after he finishes answering, he goes right back, sits down by his teacher's feet, and continues to learn to lot. So, for 12 years passed by, and suddenly the time comes for him to, um, and we'll finish in a few minutes, the uh, time comes for him to go and return. He says, you know, his wife says 12 years, time to go and return for uh, home. So, meanwhile, there was a certain troublemaker living in the in, in the town of uh, where Rachel lived, and she goes and, uh, the, this troublemaker goes and, and tells her, he says, listen, he says, boy, you're such a fool. Not only you gave up riches, not only gave up, you also gave up your husband. It says 12 years he's gone. He forgot about you already. Who knows where he is by now? You know, he's, he's, he's gone. He says, what are you thinking about, you know, doing all this? And she says, no. He says, listen, I hear some reports. I hear he's doing really well. He says, I would glad, you know, I'm very happy that, that I, that I send him. And besides, she tells him, says, listen, the time is coming that he's supposed to be, uh, coming back anyways to, uh, to, you know, it's 12 years. So this troublemaker always used to sit at the beginning, at, at, at the, um, at the entrance of the town. One of the reasons is, I don't know if we'll get to it, he was also unknown to anybody right now. He was also a spy. So for the Roman government, so he was, you know, he, he acted like this and that's why he, uh, so, so whatever. So in any case, um, for a different time, maybe if we, I don't know if we'll speak about it possibly in the, in the last class. But anyways, so, he goes, excuse me, and he goes and he, and he said, he realizes now Akiva's coming. This is like a troublemaker guy, very loud guy. He says, okay, let's, you know, he starts on the lookout for, for, for Akiva. And then go as I know, suddenly, he sees a tall man, bald guy, walking down, you know, walking into town. And he says, that's Akiva. I says, I recognize him, a tall guy, again, you know, again, uh, you miss him. And he re- so what he does, this troublemaker goes, he runs in front of, uh, you know, Akiva, and he goes over to Rachel, and he tells her, he says, you see, 12 years have come, he's not coming, he starts bad-mouthing Akiva in front of, uh, in front of her. He says, listen, you left everything, look what you could have done, you could have had the riches. And meanwhile, Akiva is getting close to the house, and he, hear, he overhears this conversation between, uh, you know, the, the two people, his wife and, and the, this complainer. 
So um, some say that it was also it was a woman, but whatever it was, it was somebody complaining to Rachel. And you know, Akiva's listening over there. Rabbi Akiva's listening, and he says, um, and 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 she says, you know, this guy is leaving you, and he doesn't uh, complaining, complaining, complaining. Meanwhile, Rachel responds and says, listen, he says. I am so confident that I am so happy that he's doing what he's doing that if he comes back and he hears me, I would say, go back for another 12 years. That's how much I wanted to learn Torah. Rabbi Kiva was sitting outside. He heard this. He turned around and he went right back to learn Torah. Didn't even come into the house. He went right back and he learned Torah. So <coughs> the, he goes and, and, he, and he leaves and he goes back to Torah for another 12 years. After all, this is his wife's uh, wishes. Meanwhile, the, um, you know, 12 years go by. And he, he, uh, he decides that, you know, now it's time for, for him to, you know, come back again. And so, he goes and he starts making his way back into, into, into his hometown. And this time though, it's 24 years past since he left home. And now he started becoming very well known in the Jewish world. Like, the entire, everybody heard about Rabbi Akiva. This is the, now he was already, not only was he a rabbi, he was a rabbi of 24,000 students. Think about it. So who has that many students? That's how much, that's how big he became in the, in the 24 years. So he says, listen, he goes to the students and says, listen, you know, I have to make my way back. I promised my wife 20, uh, 24 years and now I have to go make my way back. So what do the, what do the students do? You go where your rabbi goes because your teachers go everywhere. He went with an entourage of 24,000 students making their way back into, into their hometown. And they're going over there. Meanwhile, everybody's hearing. They see a bunch of students coming. They're like, everyone's asking questions. What's going on here? They're like, oh no, the biggest rabbi in Israel, one of the biggest rabbis in Israel is coming to visit over here. He's coming to, to... so they said, everyone started coming out and they're greeting him. He's tremendous, like, you know, the, the scene. If you could only imagine what's going on. And meanwhile, Rachel hears about this. She's so excited, so happy. And she runs out and she goes and she sees this big entourage and she sees, you know, in the center, all in the center is, is Akiva, her husband. And she starts and she starts making her way into it. Meanwhile, the students go and they see this old, old, you know, poor beggar woman rushing and trying to see the rabbi. They're like, oh, they try to, you know, hold her back. He says, listen, it's a big rabbi. You can't just push yourself all the way into it. Rabbi Akiva saw her and he says, no, no, no. And he, and he, he made like, you know, he's like, he's like, you make sure she comes up to the front right away. And she comes up, she comes up to him and he, and he announces to all the students and he says to her, he says, all my Torah and all your Torah is all hers. If not for her, none of this would have happened. And he goes in and explains that, you know, it's only because of her. And they had a, you know, a, a very emotional reunion. And meanwhile, her father, Kalva Savua, was, uh, you know, heard about this big, big rabbi coming into, you know, nearby to his town. So he decided to, you know, bothered him, you know, about the vow that he made to his daughter. <coughs> throughout the, throughout the years, um, his daughter, Rachel, tried to make up with her father. So then he says, please, you know, forgive me, you know, please, you know, I, you know, what I did, I, you know, I, I really felt I needed to. And, you know, it's really, it, and Kalva Savua was hard on his ground. Did not, uh, he rejected everything. Now he was getting older, he started feeling bad. So he wanted to speak to this rabbi. He didn't know that it was this rabbi was his son-in-law. He, he wanted to speak to this rabbi to, to annul his vow. So he goes over to her, to, to this, uh, to this rabbi, and he says, uh, listen, um, he says, rabbi, you know, the richest guy comes into town, and when he walks in, there's another kayak yamsu from the other end, right? And he was walking right back in there. So he walks right into the front, and he says, um, and he's, he's looking at, a, at Rabbi Akiva, but he doesn't recognize that he was a servant, you know, many, many years ago. And he says, um, you know, Rabbi, I need your advice. <coughs> I have um, I have an issue at hand. You know, I have a daughter, and I vowed to disown her. And I, you know, and, and I really, I held by the vow. But now I'm getting older, and I feel like, you know, I made a mistake. I'm, I'm growing lonely, and I want to annul that vow. So Rabbi Kiva says, explain to me the situation. So he says, you know, I, I, you know, she went, and she married this ignorant, poor shepherd. And, you know, I vowed that she wouldn't touch a penny of my money. So he says, so Rabbi Kiva goes and says, and had this, uh, 
poor, you know, ignorant shepherd, had he become, you know, learned Torah, he says, would have then you would have made the vow as well. And the Ben Kabbalah answered, he says, listen, to be honest with you, the fact that he didn't have money didn't bother me so much. What really bothered me was the fact that he was so ignorant. He knew nothing about the Torah, nothing about Yiddish guy, nothing about Judaism. He says, why, why should you have to go and marry this guy? If I would have known that even if he would have learned a little bit, known one Mishnah, known one Alakha, I would have already not made the vow. So, so you know, the Rabbi Akiva goes over to him and he says, my dear father, it is I, Akiva ben Yosef, I am your son-in-law. And, and your daughter, Rachel, you know, she's my beloved wife. And Bekabasullah sees this. He, he, he starts crying. He starts weeping. He says, he says, can you forgive me, Rabbi? You know, he's like, he's like, you know, and Rabbi Kibble's like, no, no, what you did was justified. He says, you know, there's no reason to forgive. But, he says, I could annul your vow very simply. Because had you known now what you would have known back then, you would have made the vow. So the vow wasn't, the vow is, is annulled. So, he went and he called over, you know, Rachel and, you know, his, his wife and, you know, Makabas was all his daughter. It was like, it was just such an emotional connection, you know, uh, you know, emotional, you know, meeting that they had. It was tears in both of their eyes. And, um, you know, the father goes over to him and he says, he says, uh, you know, please, you know, like, you know, it's like, you know, you, we're able to foresee the future so much better than I have. And forgive me, please forgive me, my dear daughter, for causing you so much anguish and pain. What did Rachel answer back? <coughs> Years, she was in poverty. She couldn't have any money. She had to struggle to survive. She could have said, no, you know, it would have made my life a lot easier. No complaint, nothing came out of her mouth like that. Do you know what she replied? She said, no, 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 father. And the suffering? How could I suffer anguish? I married the wisest, most noble man in the world. He says, suffering? I had the most unbelievable time. I had the most unbelievable marriage. I'm as fortunate and happy as any woman can be. Ba'u Hashem that I married a tzaddik. He says, the only thing I was missing is your fatherly love. Ben Kavaswal was so moved by this. He goes at that moment in time. And he tells you know, Akiva. He says, half my wealth is yours right now. I'm signing off half my wealth to you. And the other half will be after I pass away, is also going to you. That's how fortunate it was. Rabbi Akiva started, and we're gonna soon see, but his other shem will probably speak about it next class also, and how he came from the ignorant, illiterate, poor shepherd to one of the wealthiest people. And he had, there's six ways that he made money from, that he made tremendous amount of money, which we'll go, but his other shem speak through all of it. But in any case, I wanna finish with one last story on, on Akiva, and we'll, we'll close it off with this. There was a time coming for, for, uh, you know, Akiva's daughter to get married. And, um, she, she got it, you know, while there was time for her to get married, the, um, they, they actually, they, they told her, the astrologist told Akiva when she was born, says this daughter, she's gonna die on her wedding day. Akiva still said, listen, we gotta do what we gotta do, and she still needs to get married, because it's an obligation to get married. And he goes and he starts, you know, making arrangements for, you know, he's the biggest rabbi in the world, he can really get the biggest, you know, tzaddik in the world as well. So, she goes and he starts, you know, speaking about, you know, potential matches for his daughter. And he goes over to her and he says, you know, I want, you know, I have a potential match. So the daughter, you know, goes over to her father and says, you know, you know, father, I hope you're not going to be angry with me, but I have a confession to make with you. You know, when we were younger, um, there was one boy that stood out and I told this boy, says, if you go learn Torah, then I will promise you I will marry you. So the father started laughing and started smiling. He says, you're just exactly like your mother's daughter. He says, all right, no, listen, if you made this coming, who is this guy? Who is maybe, you know, maybe I know him. So he says, this guy is Shimon Benazai. He says, oh, you know, you also have a good eye like your mother. You picked a wise guy. He says, a big, big Talmud Chacham Shimon Benazai. And he says, fine, that's what you did. I agree. And they arranged a wedding and they got married to Shimon Benazai. On the wedding day, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're celebrating. And, uh, you know, Ben Kava Savoa wanted, you know, his granddaughter's getting married. It wasn't going to be just a little wedding. He, you know, made a feast for the entire town. Everybody came to this wedding. It's a huge wedding. Meanwhile, there was one poor beggar that came in, dressed in rags, and the, nobody was paying attention. Everyone's, everyone's running back and forth. The servants are going back and forth. And, and the one person that saw this poor person was the Kala, 
the the um, the bride. And she goes over and she rushes over to him and says, no, can I help you? You know, and she and, you know, says, I'm starving, whatever. Uh, I need some food. And she goes and says, not only that, she went and she, she clothed him so he'll be clothed properly for, for the feast. And they, she went and she made sure that she had, uh, that she gave him some, some food to eat. And, you know, and she says, please, you know, come stay for the entire duration of the, of the feast of the, of the wedding. Meanwhile, she's at the wedding and she had a golden pin on her hair that was sort of bothering her. So she took out this golden pin without looking, you know, there's a wall behind. She just stuck it in the wall figuring out, you know, I'll pick it up uh, uh, later. And not thinking about it, she went and she went on with the wedding. The wedding went with amazing, everything was, was, uh, was bullish and very good. And uh, the next day she goes to retrieve the pin from the wall. And to her surprise, she takes out the pin and in the pin lays this, this small but one of the most deadliest snakes. That, uh, you know, and, and she's shocked you. She runs to her father and she says, look what, look, look what I found. And so he goes over to her and he says, he, 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 rem- he remembered, of course, the, the prophecy, you know, the, it wasn't prophecy, the, the, um, you know, what the astrologer said. And they said, you know, you know, this, this snake for sure would have bit you. It was right behind you. You literally just, you know, it was within arm's length. He says, if snake would have for sure killed you. He says, what did you do on the wedding night that actually, that, that it gave you the merit to be saved? So she said, she started thinking, it's like, no, I don't know about the order, anything at order. There's a poor guy there. I happened to, you know, give him some, some charity. And then I keep a smile and says, this is what it says, Sakat Tatsil Mimavet. Charity saves from death. And here we see the charity that you gave is the reason why you're still alive today. We'll see the unbelievable sacrifices that not only Rabbi Akiva made, but also that his wife, you know, Rachel made. And Bezad Hashem will continue next week with more, with continuation of this story, this amazing story. But what, what we have to all understand from this story is that there's only so much time that I have that I can't go and explain each lesson. Every single story, there's so, there's a wealth of, of lessons that can be learned from this story. And it's imperative that we learn from this Especially during the time before Matan Torah, before the time of getting Torah, that we have to become, our, make ourselves better people, that we can learn both from Rabbi Akiva for the men and for the woman, we can learn about Rachel. And Bezat Hashem, may we be able to continue this, and we'll be able to learn the actual, the greatness of Rabbi Akiva, and may we be able to instill that in ourselves and become great as well ourselves. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.